Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I'm really excited about this week's guest. She is a writer, an editor, and the video director at Condé Nast. Welcome, Mian Chan. Hi, it's so great to be here virtually. I, <laughs> I know that's the great thing about the pandemic. It's like now, you know, everything is remote, so there's no excuse to have people on that um, aren't in the same place as me. Yeah, so true. Although we do live in the same city, I think you're in Brooklyn, right? No, no, no. I live in Florida. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the shock. I'm I'm shook. I really thought you like lived in Williamsburg. Like that was no. the narrative that I had for you in my head this whole time that we've been following each other on Instagram. I really love that for me. I'm gonna be honest with you. I really like that in your mind I live in New York because that sounds like a lot of fun for me. Yeah, um, not even just in New York. Like I had I had like an area of the city in my brain for you. Oh my, see, that's the thing about the internet. It's really interesting, like how like just based off like an Instagram feed, we like, we are like, yeah, this person is like this, this and that. And then sometimes you're like, oh, wait, fuck, like this person lives in in Florida. I think it's your like home sense. Your home style is like, I feel like very, very, very New York, Brooklyn vintage, like your beautiful couch. I mean, listen, you are saying all the right things right now. I might start crying. I'm like that. If The number one favorite compliment for me is anything relating to my home. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, I love it. And the cat, of course. Uh, oh, I mean, the cat. And anytime you post anything about your cat or anytime anyone posts anything about cats, it takes everything in me to not just respond in like a crazy way. Like just like, oh my God, so cute. I want to boop it. Like, you know, I really Wait, have no, to. Or talk about it or talk about our favorite litter boxes. Like it's just, it's a Wait. great combo. Wait, what's your favorite litter box? I actually don't have a favorite litter box, but I have like a litter box that I've wanted for a while, but I can't bring myself to get it. I have like a, like a, your standard litter box with like a little like hole in the middle that, like, that she goes into normal yeah. like covered litter box although I did talk to a cat behaviorist once for one of the videos that I shot and she told me that um like covered litter boxes are basically like the porta potties of the cat world really and, yeah and I was like I don't know what to tell you Jay. I live in a very small like not very small like I live in a New York City apartment there's no way I can have just like an open air litter box just like around I, I, mine is also covered and it's, it definitely, I bought it cause it was cute and was just hoping that my cats would not hate it and they don't. So that's great for me, but I feel like I'm probably torturing them cause it's like, it's like a dome. It's like completely covered. Yeah. Mine's like a dome too, but I really want the mod cat like top entry one. Cause I heard it really helps with tracking. I, okay. Tracking is the bane of my existence. This is now a cat litter podcast. I hate literally. I, I buy the low tracking litter. I feel like it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. And also I feel like my cats, like, like, I feel like they like purposefully like shake around, like, like after they get out, like in different spots, I'm like, can we not just like shake off in like one place? Like, do we need to shake around in different spots in the house? No, they have to. And then they like, my cat does this thing where she gets out and then she'll just like scratch the floor where there is no litter and just pretend like she's burying her shit on like a normal <laughs> just floor right outside the litter box. It's very my, strange. One of my cats does that. And I feel to be honest with you, I, I try to constantly decipher what cats are saying. I actually just posted on like my close friends last night to be like, when cats sigh, apparently when they sit on your lap, FYI, it means that they're very happy. So I didn't know that because one of my cats always deeply sighs, but he will do that scratching thing. But I think it's his way of telling me that he wants me to clean the litter box. 
Really? Okay. Like, yeah. I say, but do you do it every day? No. <laughs> I do it every day. She still does it. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. I mean, to be honest with you, I probably should do it every day. I do it every other day just because I, mean, I, I slip up and it's not that big. It's not like she, it's not like they generate that much shit. Right. Right. I mean, I will say I do have two cats. So like collectively, yes, there is quite a, there's quite a lot of shit and they love to, they, I, they drink, they're very hydrated. These are very hydrated cats. They do have a little water fountain. They're like oh, those wow. little they're bougie pampered. cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like literally they're both sleeping on different couches right now. And I wish I was them. Like oh. truly, I wish I was a cat at least like three times a day. Wow. I heard that the water fountain things are so much better for encouraging them to drink more water. Yeah, because they really like moving water, I've noticed. Like yeah, whenever I, I would do the dishes. Sense, though. Because that's like an instinctual thing, like from when before they were domesticated. Even though I will say my my older cat, my male cat, he still behaves like a feral cat. He's not a like he like pretends he like cosplays as like a domestic cat, but he's fully a feral cat. I adopted him when he was three weeks old. They should not have let me adopt him. He was way too tiny and like has no idea what domestic cats are supposed to do. So he just like fully relies on his like feline instincts and like loves me and hates everyone else. Oh, but that's like so such a people hate cats because they're not like dogs and that just crushes me because cats are completely different animals. It's like not fair to compare them, but they mm-hmm. when they they're like humans. Like they're not going to yeah. unconditionally like everyone and that's so special when you break through yep. to one. I know that I, this is probably not the best way to gauge if people are good people, but when my cats are nice to people in my mind, I'm like, you're a good person. Like, and if my cats don't like someone, I'm like, they know things and you're a bad person. (laughs) I mean, they're good. They're good. Like temperature check. They also like, honestly, to, to get a cat to like you, you have to have like some degree of patience. Right. So, you know, maybe they like can sense those virtues. Wait, how long have you had your cat for? I've had her for she's gonna turn six in September. Oh, oh my god. And I we and we got her when she was like seven or eight months. So we've had her for like five years. Oh my god. Yeah. I just think that like did she warm up to you right away? She she was very adventurous right away. Like, you know how they tell you you're supposed to keep them inside one room and so she mm-hmm. was totally fine. She used a litter box right away. She was walking around. She warmed to the the space very quickly. And she was really cuddly to begin with, but she I wouldn't say she's a super cuddly cat. Like she when people are over, like she likes to be in the room and be around, but she's not gonna like sit on new people's laps. Like she's very, very affectionate with us now. Like she'll sleep with on us and like when she was when we just got her, she used to like sleep on my neck. So I guess she yeah. can warm up right away, but that she's not like warming up to everyone. Yeah, I so I adopted my second cat. She was about like two and a half when I got her, and she was so scared of me. And I was like, oh, like she's it's fine. Like I'd never had a cat not instantly like kind of like me to a certain degree. And she didn't let me touch her for like seven months. Like I had really? her for seven months. She never would sit next to me. When I would like walk into a room, she would like run and hide. Like she was so scared, but she's also now the most cuddly, like loving, sweetest, like just that like quintessential cute, cuddly kitty cat. Like that's what she is. But like it's so crazy to me, but like the first seven months I had her, like I had never even pet her. Like she was terrified and I didn't want to like scare her and try to like force the affection so I like waited 
and that's the thing. Like you have to be super patient because be patient. cats are so different than dogs. And you're so right. Like to, to compare them is, is like comparing like a cat to a bird. Like they're not the same thing. They're really not. And they have like tendencies. Right. That, like, like my cat pays place fetch sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I will say. Yeah. Yeah. Cats do have some, some dog like tendencies at times. It's true. Um, yeah, but dogs like everyone. So I don't feel special when dogs like me, but I love dogs. I don't love dogs too. But when like a cat loves me, I'm like, I feel like, I I don't know, like I feel more of like a worthy person. (laughs) Yeah. Like you feel, and when they give you their belly, then you're like, this cat is in love with me. And I've like reached a higher like level of my personhood. It's the ultimate form of like cats letting you know that they trust you do you believe in that whole thing where like if a cat blinks at you slowly that that means that they love you or did I just I've, learn that I've heard that I've heard that actually I heard this like two or three years ago and like I don't know I've heard it definitely many times but I don't I don't know like I should ask my like my the girl that is the cat behaviorist that I know and ask her if that's a real thing let me tell you if I had a if I knew a cat behavioralist I they would have to like block my phone number I would ask so I just am constantly like why do they do this? And why did they, and I'm always Googling it, but then obviously Google doesn't always have, you know, the answer. So then I'm just like wondering, like, why do they do that? They, they're so cute and weird. I know. I love it. I just love like trying to figure them out, talking to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I saw, I love your cat. I love everything that you share on Instagram. So you kind of like, I would say like, when I think of your Instagram account, I think of like just the most, beautiful like artistic makeup looks and like I I just are you like a naturally like artistic person like do you paint or like draw or anything like that uh no I'm actually not I mean growing yeah I actually was not a very artsy person in school like I did music and I did like drama stuff so I I think I was like artsy in that way but I but my actually my sister is like was more of like the draw the illustrator she does graphic design and like I think what got me into beauty was actually just having really bad acne in high school. And I think, and this is like a theory that I have, which is that like people who've had like really severe acne, like had to go to the dermatologist, had to try a million different things, end up kind of becoming like pseudo skincare experts because we end up spending so much time like pouring over like polished choice ingredients lists and figuring out what like ceramides do and what salicylic acid and lactic acid do, what they both do. And so that's kind of what got me into beauty was trying to solve this problem. And I really liked like the ingredient like journey. And then through that, um, I started watching a ton of YouTube and that kind of got me into makeup, but I didn't really get into like the kind of makeup that I do now, which I would, which I guess some people would describe it as like kind of editorial, colorful, like kind of weirder makeup. And I didn't really get into that until like 20 Actually, I, I only know this because I was doing an interview and someone told me that she noticed that I started doing it around 2018. So I think 2018 is when I started doing it. <laughs> and I think it was mostly because like I was just getting really tired of like bronze smoky eyes and like five color smoky eyes and Ardell big ass lashes. And, yeah. Like, the kind of makeup that is like was and still is very prevalent on YouTube. And it just seemed more fun. I started following a bunch of editorial makeup artists and that's kind of how I got into it. But like, no, to answer your question, I wasn't actually very artsy growing up and I don't. That's wild because I feel like I often watch your Instagram stories where you like kind of show how the look is created. And 
my favorite thing about your videos is how effortless everything seems to be. Like there's just something really soothing about that for me when it comes to like a makeup tutorial. Like I love watching people just kind of like things are gliding on. Like that's, that's what does it for me. But like, you just seem like you're, you create these beautiful shapes with like such ease, which is why I'm like, Oh, she's like, has to be like a painter artist. I don't, I don't know something like that because you just, you have that like ability to create these beautiful shapes in a way that like, that's insane to me that you didn't kind of grow up with that being a talent. Yeah, well, that's definitely very, very intentional. That actually, it's interesting that you say that because I, because I'm not an illustrator and I, and I'm not super, super. I, I could never do that thing we see on Instagram of like people drawing a like beautiful painting on their face. Like I don't, I can't draw that way. So like everything that I do is very like wabi sabi and perfect. Like the lines are kind of squiggly and they, I think they look really cool, but it's intentionally not supposed to be very precise. And so it's interesting that you, it's, it's nice and very flattering that you say that, but I'm definitely not very good at, um, very, very, very steady hand precision work. Although I'm I mean- fine. I'm like, you could have fooled me because like, literally I'm like watching it. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like this girl. Like it just, the the way you also like put together these makeup looks is something that I, I really love because like you said, there is this kind of standard for like makeup that's been around for a while. It's really prevalent on YouTube. It's kind of this like full glam baked under eye look, which I think looks so great on a lot of people. I just never felt like I had a face that could wear makeup like that. Like it just didn't feel right. Like not, I think anyone can try any makeup look, but like it just never felt right for my face. And what feels better for me is like more of like a, you know, a clean makeup look with like a cool eyeliner. Like that feels more like my style. So it was really exciting for me to see you creating these really beautiful looks and like having like a more minimal base and like these just really like focused on the eye type of looks that I think are like a little bit more like in a way like accessible to people who don't love wearing a lot of makeup. Yeah. And like, I don't, I have done the like lots of foundation, super contoured snatch kind of look. And I think it actually looks beautiful in photos, but it's just like a lot of makeup and it's a little bit uncomfortable to be completely honest. Yeah. Like it gets, you know, it gets on your collar of your mm-hmm. shirt. And like, I prefer the look of like, you know, seeing a little bit of, you know, under eye darkness showing through your concealer, a little bit of like a little redness from a pimple. Like I think it looks pretty and natural and like, I think it just looks more like more like imperfect in a way, which is kind of nice. So I I agree with you. I like I, I like that look a lot more too. Although I do enjoy like sometimes like putting on that full face and like kind of pre- like you're it's like you're putting on a fantasy and you're kind of being someone else for the day, which is nice too. Oh, absolutely. Like any, like, I, I mean, not that I did anything excited on New Year's, New Year's Eve, but like I, I wore like a full coverage foundation for the first time and like I don't even know how long. And I was like, oh my God, like every picture I take of myself is like, like my skin looks like crazy flawless. And I was like, this is why people love full coverage makeup. But at the same time, by the end of the night, like I'm, I am always the type of girl who wants to wash my makeup off the second I get home. I just hate anything being on my face. Like I want to feel free, but like, I came home and I was like, I need to get this off. Like I could feel it sitting on my face in a way that like was making me just, I was like, I need to wash this off. I feel like it's clogging every pore on my face. 
Yeah. And so I do love, I do have a lot of long wear foundations. And sometimes like if I want to go for like a little bit of the coverage and like the longevity of a lot of like long wear foundations, I'll like mix a bit of moisturizer into it or like mix an oil into it or something. So that like kind of sheer, it kind of gives it a little more elasticity and then yeah. kind of nice. Um, but I, I think everyone to each their own, but I think personally, like I actually don't even wear foundation. Usually like I have so many, but I pretty much only wear concealer. I just wear concealer all over my face. What's the concealer that you really like? Um, let me get my little <laughs> bar card of makeup over here. I really I, love, sorry, what'd you say? Oh no, I was going to say, I'm like, I'm like, I, when I look at your photos, like I would never think that it's just like a, a concealer spread around, but like also like, I do think that's a really great way to get more of a full coverage look while still having that like natural look. Cause you're just covering where you want coverage and then showing skin where you want to show skin. Yeah. And then kind of blending the excess of the, of the concealer over other areas. It's also really mm-hmm. great for traveling. Like I never travel with a foundation. Like I only bring a concealer. Um, I love the Uoma Stay Woke Concealer, U-O-M-A, a a really, really nice concealer. Um, Very natural looking, but still like stays on really well. What else do I like? Elf makes a good concealer. The Hydrating Camo Concealer is really Really? good. Yeah, Elf makes good stuff. I feel like I really, like, I was that YouTube beauty girl who, like, when the beauty guru scene first popped off, like, I was buying every item they ever talked about. So I'm purchase so many elf things but then like I feel like now because there's like five products that I just continuously use over and over I rarely will like venture out to buy more makeup because I'm just like I I know what I like and I have it so like for me it's just also like I don't know like I just become such a creature of habit when it comes to makeup looks which is why I think that you're like the looks you create are so inspiring because you're always kind of doing something a little bit different. And it makes me like want to step out of that comfort zone of doing the same kind of look using the same products every day. Yeah, but I also think that like, so a lot of my looks, I pretty much use the same products in them. Like I have so much stuff because I'm very lucky and I get sent a lot of things. But um, and from like when I was a beauty editor, I had just like a bunch of stuff. So like, I I like most I don't really think you need to have a lot of makeup like you don't you can just have one concealer that you love like in terms Definitely. of like colorful palettes you can get like just a couple of like really good rainbow palettes that have kind of every shade you'd want and you can do so many looks with them so you don't I don't really think you need to be buying all like the new stuff all the time and it can get really overwhelming and every beauty brand is launching something like every month it seems these days and every celebrity has a beauty line right now so it's like it's, it's nice to just have the stuff that you know you like and just stick with it. Yeah. And it's very rare. I will say that I come across a beauty launch that I'm like excited about. Cause I also just feel like everything is kind of the same. Like I want to actually go out and buy the Anastasia, like brow new thing that came out that like makes you have that really feathery look like oh, the soap yeah. brow look, but you don't yeah. need water. And it's like, that's the issue with soap brows. It's like, sometimes I don't want to get up and go to the sink and get water. So it's like, it's very rare for me to come across like a launch where I'm like, wow, this is really exciting. And I want to try this. And like, I feel like this is something that'll like, kind of improve my makeup kind of routine. Yeah. And I think that like, people are so like literate in the beauty space these days. So like, there's all these reviews out there. They're like, yeah. websites dedicated to that sort of thing. So I think that people can make really informed decisions on what they want to get before they buy it. Oh, no. And it's like, it's one of those things where like, I feel like I got into skincare and I like, was super intense about it. And there were people who cared about it, but not as many people. But now like, everyone knows everything. And it's so cool. Because like, 
you can basically talk to anyone about like some random ingredient and they'll know what you're talking about. And I'm like, fine. Like, it's just really exciting to me that this knowledge is so like kind of um, common, like amongst people who are into skincare and beauty at this point, because it's it's just better to be educated on the purchases you're making in general. And like, I also think that there's like this whole kind of other side as well of like making sure that you're buying things that are like ethically sourced and like not tested on animals. And I feel like there's a lot more like information surrounding that now to make even more kind of informed choices where you're, you know, supporting brands or supporting products that like align with your beliefs in a way that I don't think it's ever been before. No, I completely agree. And there's a lot more resources. I mean, you mentioned cruelty free. And like, so when I'm looking for stuff, I I use um, two different sites, Logical Harmony and Cruelty Free Kitty. And they're great. They like, yeah, they just put all these, they like just have like giant lists of like what's cruelty free out there, like which ones have parent companies that maybe aren't cruelty free and stuff like that. So it's like a really good resource to have. Yeah, definitely. And like, I love that it's like, it's out there now. And like every it's not just, you know, a select group of people who kind of know these things. Like, it's like, you can go on TikTok and look at, you know, the skincare and beauty side of TikTok and learn so much. And it's like, really great information. And like, even you mentioned ceramides earlier, like, I feel like ceramides is all over my TikTok algorithm now, like everyone is obsessed with ceramides. And I'm like, this is amazing, we should be using products with ceramides ceramides are really good for our skin and I feel like there's also this shift from like skincare that's more like focused on like acids and peeling and exfoliation and a lot more products focused on like the health of your skin which I really love yeah lots of talk about skincare barrier I also think that's what's interesting about like this big like influx of wanting to be ingredient literate is really interesting um, because I feel like a five years ago it was all about like all everything has to be natural. Yeah. And I love the natural movement. The green movement is great, but like I think that there's a little bit of a of a thought in in some of the communities there that like anything that's a chemical is bad. Right. And so it's interesting to see like just more people learning about, yeah, exactly. What is what's a ceramide? What does niacinamide do? Like what's the difference between like lactic and glycolic acid? And so it's nice to see that. Yeah. And it's it's also like you know, a lot of things that I believed about skincare that I have to like unlearn just based off of like everything that's coming out now. It's like, just because like a brand will tell you that you can use this like exfoliating treatment once a day does not mean that you should actually be using it once a day. They like, you know what I mean? Like that might not be the best thing for your skin just because exfoliation does have that instant gratification and like your skin is glowing and whatever, it's smoother. But like as for the like long haul, it might not be the best thing for like your particular skin. And I just, I love kind of how there's like this influx of like just really amazing information and different resources. Like it just, it's one of those things that like keeps me excited about beauty and skincare. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's kind of like how like retinol is great for your skin. It has, there's so many studies about how great it is for not only like wrinkles and aging, but for acne and like texture on your skin. And that's something that like you really can only use at night because if you use it in the day, it can make, Mm -hmm. it it makes your skin more photosensitive. So it can, you know, potentially contribute to sun damage and stuff like that. So like, I feel like that, that information like that, I think Mm -hmm. is becoming so much more accessible, even though like that's a thing that any derm would tell you about a retinol if you were getting prescribed one, but now there's a lot more retinol on the and stuff like that. 
I actually, for the first time, like ever gave myself retinol burn. And I'm someone who's been using retinol for like years. Like I love retinol. I love retinol. Yeah. And I was like really tired the other night. And like, I've done the thing before sometimes where I brush my teeth in the morning and I reach for my face wash instead of my toothpaste. But then as soon as I grab my face wash, I'm like, oh no, this is my face wash. I meant to grab my toothpaste. I basically slathered on my retinol. Like it was a moisturizer. I was like, not paying attention. I was like half asleep. And I had the worst retinol burn around my eyes, my poor, poor eyes. My skin barrier is crying right now. I'm slathered in like, you know, the most gentle Aven cream that's like for like super sensitive skin and like Vaseline, like all over. But like, it's just like, I've obviously never done that before. But I'm like, when I hear people talking about how retinol makes them peel and this and that, I'm like, well, that's so weird. This never happened to me before. Like I use such a small amount. It's never made my skin like peel, but I'm like, they're probably just like, that made me really like, they're probably just putting on way too much, like way too much retinol because even for the rest of my face, like it was peeling everywhere. And that's never happened to me before. Really? I mean, it depends on, were you using a prescription retinol before? No, I've I've actually surprisingly never used a prescription one. I will say I do want to ask my derm to give me one because I I just feel like it's like the superhero version of all retinols. Yeah, so you will probably peel when you get a prescription retinol because it just has a higher percentage unless like it seems like you use a lot of retinol now and you also might use acid. So maybe you won't because your skin's used to it. But like most people when they go on a prescription retinol, there is like a two or three week period of peeling that's um, actually for acne really was was very very great for me because it helped purge a lot of the congestion that I had in my skin but oh. then it should it should stop peeling that's so interesting and yeah like the 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 thing about like retinol is it's so good for so many different like my 12 year old niece started using um the that over the counter retinol I can't remember the oh, name of it um Tazer? no not Tazerac. derm Something along those lines. It's like sold at Target. It's like everywhere. It's like nine dollars. It's like that. I'm sure people are all like yelling what it's called right now. I'm- I know it, it's really irritating me that I yeah. remember it because I remember when it when it became OT, o- OTC and it was a really big it was a really big thing because you used to only be able to get it prescription. Oh, now, now I'm googling. And now it. I'm googling it too. I like, <laughs> need to know what this is. And of course, every other retinol in existence is popping up. Awesome, great, different. 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 Yep. 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 So she started getting, you know, teenage, that kind of like breakout that starts to happen, your hormonal and everything. And, and a derm was like, yeah, she needs to use a retinol. And I was like, I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But like, for some reason, it was like mind boggling to me that like a 12 year old is using a retinol. And I'm like, you're gonna look like a baby forever. I wish I started using retinol when I was 12 years old. Like that's, that's, if I could go back in time and do one thing, that would be the thing that I would do. I mean, it is a lot though to peel at that age and have to go to school. That is true. That's uh, that's yeah all, yeah yeah. I don't know. Maybe different. She has like, if she's using like a lower like a lower amount. Maybe she isn't peeling. But like I remember like when I went on a retinol, it was like it was the beginning of like our musical that year, and I had like my first kind of like real boyfriend, and I was on retinol, and it was like, <laughs> peel so much, and I it made I would like was going to the bathroom like every every period and like trying to exfoliate my face and like also like it's painful like it's actually really uncomfortable like 
like the areas where it's like peeling, like it feels like if I smile too hard, like it kind of burns very, a little bit. It can be very drying. So you have to use a lot of, a lot of moisturizer. I know we're like making it sound like it's the worst thing ever, but really right no, is a best. great ingredient. Just don't overuse it. Um, and then there's always like, you know, the sandwiching technique, which I think is also really, really great for people with sensitive skin, like using like, you know, maybe like a hydrating serum and then putting on your retinol and then putting on a moisturizer to just kind of make sure that it's not just like directly like in contact with your skin. Yeah. And one of the other things that make a lot of acne things make your skin peel. Like if you go on oh, acne yeah. pain, your skin will peel a ton. Like, you know, that's just like par for the course kind of. Did you ever end up going on Accutane during like your kind of skincare journey? I did not, but my my roommate freshman year did, and it was a very hellish experience for her. She was putting on like Aquaphor constantly, kind of like where you're at right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, you also have to like go on a you on a birth control because Accutane is like really like intense stuff. Yeah, you have to have like two different forms of birth control because I think it it can have like a very adverse effect if you if you end up getting pregnant on it. Yeah. Um. So I haven't. Did you did you ever do that? I've never, I've never really like that's my skincare like struggles were never really related to like acne. It was more so just like I, my issues are like I get really weird like discoloration on my face. That's mm. kind of the thing that I was always combating. But my one of my nieces had to go on it and she had to like go in every month and like sign this like abstinence. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, saying that, like go in and have checkups a lot. And it was just really funny to me because she was like, every time she would go in, she basically would go in with her mom and have to like tell the nurse, like, I'm not, I'm not having sex. And she was like, it was just really uncomfortable and I really hated it. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that is really an awkward combo to have. Right, right. Mom. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, if I was a teenager, that would probably be the worst thing that you could ever ask me to do just like in general. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, and also for me, like I grew up with a lot of older sisters. And so I, they were really into skincare, like from like the early nineties, like my sister was telling me like, you need to wear sunscreen. Like, like That's my, great. I yes. love that that happened. Yeah. Like my sisters are definitely really into beauty. So I kind of had them to like look to. And so I started getting into skincare just kind of like as like a fun activity. But like, I actually didn't get into makeup until like, I was like, tw I don't think I even owned makeup until I was 21 years old. Like I was definitely like a late bloomer, which is so weird, because I love makeup. I mean, anytime that you find it is a great time to find it. Oh, a thousand percent. And to be honest with you, I mean, the looks that I put together at that age were questionable. So God only knows what I would have done before then. Like I was fully wearing like no foundation, uh, a winged liner, fake lashes and like bright pink lipstick. And I definitely thought it was like a look like I was like, this is my eyebrows were completely sparse. And I was like, this is the look I just I'm I'm an artist. This episode of Arab American Psycho is sponsored by The Doe. The Doe is a digital publication sharing anonymous stories to promote civil disclosure and provides a platform to lesser known, often marginalized stories. The Doe publishes unfiltered narratives from verified anonymous sources, drawing attention to a broad spectrum of viewpoints that encourage readers to confront their own biases. Each month, The Doe explores new themes that help you gain perspective on a myriad of topics. I came across a narrative titled, Why TikTok Made Me Hate Teenagers, so I obviously had to read it. And this narrative is written by a stand-up comedian that is pretty openly resentful towards the success of adolescents on the app. 
The author writes, I guess when you have millions of followers who adore you, you can post anything you want. But if all it takes is posting a video of a silly face, why aren't we all social media icons? I make plenty of silly faces and haven't earned a single dollar for it. To be completely honest, I have mixed feelings about this narrative. As a creator myself, I can empathize with the frustration of not receiving recognition for your work. You know, it takes a lot of time and effort. That being said, I sincerely believe that another person's success doesn't take away from your own success, especially the success of another woman. Uh, talent is so subjective, and there's a reason why certain creatives are more successful than others. Sometimes it seems like pure luck, but to be honest with you, the young women that this author uses as examples have something that people want to see, and although you may not understand it, you kind of have to respect it. I've linked this narrative in the episode notes, but you can also visit thedoe.com. That's T-H-E-D-O-E, like a female deer, dot com to read more. Thank you so much to The Doe for sponsoring this episode. Now back to the conversation. You could like do a fun like 2021 version of like your old look though. And that could be like a really fun challenge for you. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, I could do that. But also I'm like, I feel like, do you remember the Lady Gaga MAC collaboration lipstick? The first one she ever came out with. Yeah, that's like a that, limited edition collection, right? Yeah, that was the first lipstick I ever bought. And I would wear that with like just no makeup, just that bright pink lipstick. So I'm like, I don't know how I can make that cute. <laughs> I love that. I love a bold lip with very fresh face though. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I also think that like, when eyebrows became a thing, that was like a game changer. Like, I don't, there's something about like, I feel like before, like the in the last like 10 years, like eyebrows were a thing. But before then, it was like, no one really cared about your eyebrows at all. Well, before I feel like it was very much like pluck your eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Like there was yeah, no one really filling like, in. Yeah, then there was like this huge thing. When I first started working in the beauty industry, it was like maybe 2014, 2015. It was all about like Brooke Shield brows. Everyone wanted Brooke Shield like type of brows. And people, yeah. everybody wanted those fluffy, fluffy, fluffy brows. And it was like really exciting and fun. We cast like so many models that had like really, really big eyebrows. It was fun. I love, I mean, I love eyebrows. I have not touched my eyebrows in years in hopes that like they will be Brooke Shields eyebrows one day. But how did you like, did you always know that you wanted to work in the in the beauty space? Or was that something that you just kind of discovered later? Yeah, I, that is something that I discovered later. I went to school, I went to uh, NYU, and I actually had no idea what I wanted to major in when I first started. And then like my sophomore year, I think I, I, I at this point, I was like really into YouTube. So I loved beauty as a hobby, but I never thought it could be a job. And I came across this internship listing to be an edit, editorial intern for the beauty team at W Magazine. And for, so I, for some reason, like I got it, even though I had no magazine experience. And that kind of like started everything for me. I really enjoyed that that experience. And then from there, I um, interned at a bunch of different places. And then I did freelance work. And that's kind of how I kind of got into the industry. And once I once I was in and I saw that it was it could be a viable job, I like poured all of my energy into making that happen. Was it something like did your were your parents like on board for you to kind of do something that isn't more like traditional? Yeah, that's a great question. So. I think growing up, I was never good at anything related to math or science. Um, so, <laughs> and my relate. parents are both math majors. So they, you know, my sister's really good at math. So they kind of like, when they realized that I was just not going to be able to do it, they kind of were just like, 
you know, let me do my thing. They were like, oh, she's really good at English. Like maybe she'll be a lawyer, right? Yeah. So I went to NYU and I ended up pushing my major to journalism and they were kind of like down to let me do it because they saw that I was getting all these internships. Like one of my, my, my internship at Refinery29 was paid. So they were like, okay, maybe this is a thing. And then because I think I really wanted to show them that I could make this into a job, I ended up um, getting hired full-time as the beauty team at Refinery29's editorial assistant my senior year of college. So because of that, like I went into senior year with a job and then I yeah. did my, I did like, I basically like split my course load into two because I was supposed to graduate early but I, and I just graduated normally on time and I did like night classes. And I think because I went in with a full-time job, they just kind of dropped it and they were like, okay, like she, she, she has a career potentially, she's getting paid to do this thing that she's doing. And then they were kind of like, okay with it. But I don't think that I got maybe as much pressure as like other people have in the past. Yeah, definitely. And I think that also like, for me is a similar thing where my parents definitely didn't put as much pressure on me because they knew kind of when I was very young, like, she's, she's not going to be a doctor or an engineer, like, we can, we can, we can write those things off. She hates math, she hates sciences, she, you know, those aren't her strengths. But at the same time, I think that I don't know about you, but do you feel like your parents kind of didn't fully understand what it is that you did? Because my parents still don't know what I do, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, no, they dev- I don't know if they understand like the the details of what I do. And like my my grandpa, like sometimes will be like, so when are you going to write start writing about like politics? And I was like, that's not really, that's not really what I do. Um, but I they just kind of like let it. They just let me do my thing. And like I tell them when I do assignments that they are like they know who it is like I shot I like developed a series for Teen Vogue in December and I shot Barbie Ferreira and I think they had like known about Euphoria so they were kind of excited about that like I did stuff like with Drew Barrymore so they were like so those things they can like put it into the context of like yeah their own like knowledge and I think they are really proud of me I don't know if they know exactly what I do but they definitely like are proud of what I've been able to accomplish, which is nice. Do you feel like your parents are like that too with yours? With your career? So to be honest with you, I feel like my dad is proud of me, but like, he's also just like, I could do anything and he would be proud of me. So I'm lucky in that way. My mom, on the other hand, still deep down inside is like, I don't understand why you're not getting three masters and a PhD. Like she's very like academic driven type of woman where she just kind of feels like, that is the the way to like gain success and respect in the professional world. Yes, which I completely, completely understand because here I am like a, you know, a little privileged first generation American who's really not had many, you know, struggles. And like, she grew up with a lot of struggles. So for her, it's like this really important thing that you have to do to like, make sure that you're secure. And I'm like, continuously trying to explain to her like, mom, there are different routes you can take now. And it's like, it's not it's not the way it was before. And she like, she gets it. And like you were saying, like, there are certain things that I can tell her about that she will feel excited about. Um, but like things that I think are really exciting. She's just like, I don't get it. Like, why is that exciting? Like, and I'm like, no, mom, like, this is a big deal. Like, I love this brand. And she's like, never heard of this brand. Like, this, so she's, she's like, like okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. And that's a, that's a big struggle. Constantly, I think to like, show your family like my grandpa and like my family like my my family like on my mom's side from Singapore and I was very close to them I am very close to them because we kind of grew I kind of grew up spending every summer there and they definitely do not really know what I do um which is which I'm like okay with now 
Yeah. And it's also just kind of like, I mean, same for me, like my extended family that lives overseas, they follow me on Instagram and they're really sweet and they like leave cute supportive comments. But I I 100% don't think they understand what it is because my mom will tell me like little tidbits. So she'll be like, oh, I was talking to my sister and, and her daughter saw that you posted this and like, you're a chef now. And I'm like, no, I'm not a chef. I just posted, I cooked something and posted it on my Instagram stories. <laughs> I'm like, it's just, it was just an Instagram story. That's, that's all it was. But like, I feel like because like the kind of social media space, like no matter what you do at this point, I think that everyone is so like multifaceted that I can kind of get why it's a little confusing. I mean, it's even confusing for me to sometimes explain to people like, where they're like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, I feel like I can't just say like one word. Like there isn't just like one word that I can say to be like, this is what I do. I'm like, I do so many things, you know what I mean? And you like, you know, you have essentially your own business that you're running and right. we also live in an age now that I think is different from our parents where you don't, we not, not that this not to speak for everyone, but a lot, a lot of people our age, I feel like aren't going into jobs at one company and then staying there for like 40 years. Right. Like I think that people are taking more like, I guess, untraditional paths. And it's really exciting because I think that people are a lot happier in their careers in a way that like, a lot of people aren't. And I think it's because, you know, there are these kind of arbitrary societal expectations, especially I think for a lot of immigrant families, where it's like, this is what you need to do. This is the formula to happiness. And like, don't don't stray from this, like, this is a proven formula for like, successful life. And, you know, you end up kind of, I think a lot of people end up being really unhappy in those positions and just dreading their work where I'm like, I love my work. You know, obviously there are times where I'm lazy and I don't want to do anything, but that has nothing to do with my work. I just, you know, feel lazy that day. But for the most part, I'm really excited about everything that I do. So I'm like, I feel like I'm, we are kind of privileged to be in this like day and age where these things are more acceptable and like just generally more digestible. Yeah, I think the culture in our generation is different. I think a lot in part with the fact that like we've lived through what two recessions at this point. I think we're the yeah. first generation that people say will not be as affluent as our parents are. And I think that realization, like living through all of that, kind of makes it like it's not worth it to slog through a job that you won't even reap the benefits of retirement, social security that our parents would have had. So you might as well be happy in your job. Yeah, absolutely. And like also like I think that I don't, I, you know, for me at least, like if I'm not like, oh, I just need to like be as rich as humanly possible or make as much money as possible. It's like, I just want to do things that make me feel like I have purpose and that make me feel like content and like making money is great and very important, but like, it's not the end all be all for me, which I think it's just like a completely different approach to like work and like having a job. Yeah, I totally, I totally feel that. And I think that our generation in particular, and the generation like Gen Z and like, different, I think that there, there's more of that kind of culture going through. And it's like, I think gone is that I do think a lot of it has to do with economics, though. And like, that we're taught, if our parents were taught that if you work really hard, you can retire and have a really nice life. But the reality is that we don't have that guarantee with everything going on in the world right now. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. And like, it's, it's just, and also like, I feel like in the last even two years, like just the general climate, it's just constantly changing in a way where it's like, 
nothing is guaranteed, which is slightly unsettling and dark. But at the same time, it's like even more of a reason to just do the things I think to do the things if you're in a position where you can that you, you really love doing and spend your time and efforts in that because we have no idea like what's the future holds. Yeah, I completely I completely that resonates a lot with me. And I think especially with climate change, stuff like that, like, it's, it's impossible to know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like one of those things that it's, it's crazy that I feel like this is a conversation that I'm having all the time with my friends and we're so kind of desensitized to it. And we're like, yeah, no climate change. We're kind of fucked. We're probably, you know, the earth is going to just like set fire, but like it's, it is a reality. And like, I feel like we are more aware of it than any, you know, really any other generation before us. And like, but also like we weirdly have like, we're like, okay, we're, we're going to try to like do what we can, but also like, yeah, it definitely affects, I think, how we view our like futures and lives and stuff. 100%. I mean, we're seeing it kind of unfold right before our eyes, right? All the wildfires, stuff, mm-hmm. the bushfires and stuff like that. Like, it's impossible to ignore. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that people are definitely like, and it's, I think it's one of those things that maybe started off as a trend. But like, I'm a believer that like, even if it starts off as a trend, like I'm fine with it. I think that any positive change is is just that it's positive. It doesn't matter what the purpose or the reason is. Like, I'm just like a fan of it. And I think that even though it kind of started off as this little bit of like a trend, and it's just now become I think such like a important part of like, most young people's lives where it's like, no, I'm not going to use this plastic bag. I'm going to use a reusable bag. And like, no, I'm not like, it's just become such a norm. And it makes me so happy that like, that's the direction we're moving in, where like, we want to be reusing things, we want to be wasting less, we want to be, you know, more environmentally conscious in every aspect of our lives. And it's, it makes me so happy. And it gives me like hope that like, we might actually help the earth be happier, maybe. Yeah. And you know, and, and what's cool about it kind of becoming a bigger, a bigger issue is that like, obviously, we saw that it was a really big ticket item for the presidential election, like last mm-hmm. year. And I think that there's a lot more people that are starting to realize that like, we can make big sweeping change through like policy and holding corporations accountable. And I think yeah. that, that I think that that there was fewer people that were kind of echoing that message like a few years ago. Um, Definitely. And I think that's the other thing, like with social media and like the ability for like Instagram accounts to like hold brands accountable in a way that's like never really existed before. And like seeing the brands actually respond and actually do something about it, it does feel kind of like, okay, like now we're kind of setting the standard where like, no matter how cute your shit is, if you are not being more sustainable or using more sustainable practices, you're going to lose customers. And that's just plain and simple because there are more sustainable options that everyone is a lot more like shop savvy. And like, we just know what our options are in a different way. And everything, like you said, like there are reviews online for everything. And like, we just know where we're putting our money. And like, I think for the most part, people are wanting to put their money into brands that actually are doing good or trying to do better. Yeah. And I think that the next, like, not the next thing, but this is like something that I've been thinking about a lot since I read this story in the New Yorker in 2019 by, by this amazing climate reporter named Bill, Bill McKibben. But he wrote up all about like divesting from fossil fuels. And I think that's a really big thing for people to like kind of throw their weight behind. Like yeah. Chase, Chase Bank, BlackRock, all these huge institutions that we all like have credit cards at. We all have 
we all have our checking and savings account in. Like they are like some of the biggest investors in the fossil fuel industry. Um, and I think that that's a really, that's like something that I really want to look into this year and like trying to get my money out of, out of fossil fuels if I can. But it's, it's hard because I don't think that the onus should all be on the consumer to right. have to change their lifestyle to live more responsibly. I really think it should be on corporations and organizations and the government to regulate and create new policy to make it easier for people to make those choices. Like even something as simple as, for example, like there are like BlackRock chase like these big banks have these like default investment folders that you can just kind of put your money into they choose the stocks you put your money into and obviously people choose those options because a lot of people don't really know how to like do the stock market i don't know how but a lot of those default folders include fossil fuel stocks just by default and i think one of the things that bill mckibben was saying was saying in his story is like there should be an option like it shouldn't you shouldn't default into investing in fossil fuels you should be able to make that decision on your own and yeah, I and I really- like that's something that like I, I had like no knowledge of prior to this, and like I just now I'm like yeah, I want to like look into this because even though it shouldn't be on the consumer, it's like also you know at least for me, I'm like I want to try to do whatever it is that's within like my control as much as I can, and you know I think that we should be putting pressure more so on these big corporations, but also it's like. I, I don't know. I just feel like if I'm not doing anything, I also just feel like I'm, I'm not, I'm just adding. And yeah, it's like, and you this, have to live your values. Exactly. And I'm just kind of like, also like, I can't really like complain about things if I'm just like kind of contributing. Exactly. And to I the, really agree. Yeah. Yeah, no. And so like, yeah, it's, it's really cool, though, like how these things are kind of coming to light and how we're just generally becoming more like well informed and like, knowledgeable on like what actually is happening in these big corporations what's happening behind the scenes where is the money coming from where is the money going just all of that I just feel like it's making us all just I don't know that the I really feel like knowledge is power and like it truly does kind of feel like brands and big corporations do rely on us so like ultimately like we yeah like we kind of have the upper hand I mean I just I feel like there's so much especially like you know when you're like in a position where you're like an influencer or any form of influencer on the internet, like if you like the way thrifting and vintage shopping has turned into like this, just really cool girl thing to do makes me so incredibly happy because I'm like, this is like the best thing that I feel like influencers have done, to be honest with you. I'm like, this is like, hands down, in my opinion, the best thing, because it's like, yeah, shop secondhand. It's really cool. You'll find some great pieces. No one else will have them. And you know what? Like, you're not adding to, you know, the the fashion waste that exists and is like a huge issue. Yeah. And to that point, like, I think, like, just to show like how popular this is getting like the the you know buying secondhand industry poshmark just ipo they went public and they i think they were they were they're not valued they were valued when they went public like 200 percent more than they were this you should we should fact check this but they were yeah they were, they were valued at like way more than they thought they were going to be going in because i think that's interesting to see because there's obviously a, a huge new market for secondhand clothing it's amazing and also like it's it's turning young people into like they're like starting their own businesses like it's just everything about it I'm like this is good like this is something really good that like I feel like you know without the internet and without this kind of whole social media thing where people are like oh like I got this vintage thing and like it's really cool or I thrifted this and it's really cheap and really cool it's like 
all of those things I make me really happy. And I like try so hard to like focus on like kind of the positive change that I see just generally, because I'm like, if not, I feel like I go into like a really dark space and I'm like, and I don't want to be in that space. I don't think it's productive. So I just, I don't know when I see things and I hear things like that, like, yeah, Poshmark, that's amazing. Good for them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I do want to talk to you though, a little bit about like kind of your upbringing. Cause I know you mentioned that your mom is from Singapore and I believe your dad is Chinese. Yeah. He's Chinese, but he's actually from Madagascar. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. An interesting kind of. Did he yeah. move there? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Like, so my grandfather on that side, my dad's side moved to Madagascar, um, when he was very young, like 16 because he had, um, a cousin there. So they, they moved there and they ended up just like settling down um, and ended up having children there. So my dad and all of his, his brothers and sisters are born there. My grandmother is actually like Chinese from Madagascar. Like she was born in Madagascar and there's just like a very small, like Chinese enclave in Madagascar. I don't exactly know why, but I actually went there for the first time last year um, just to visit my dad's like hometown and stuff like that. And so he is Chinese, but he has a very like interesting cultural background like he because Madagascar was a French was a French colony and yeah. so and yeah and they like so he obviously his first language was like French and kind of Cantonese and he also speaks a little bit of Malgash like the 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 cultural dialect there so he like and then he ended up going to um university in Paris and then my him and my mom met when they were in grad school in Canada actually so it's like a very interesting Whoa. It's interesting. I'm like, I feel like your dad's like a really cool cultured kind of guy. Yeah. And then my mom is like from Singapore. She's Chinese. And like my, you know, Singapore was occupied by the British for a very long time. And um, prior, uh, just like in the, in the 1900s. And so they have a lot of like British upbringing, interestingly. Like she thinks she has a British accent, but she <laughs> does not. She has an American accent. And I, she's like, I have a British accent. And I'm just like, no, you're not. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she'll start saying things like schedule and Kant. And it's, like, <laughs> okay. it's really, really cute. Yeah, I think that so I think we talked about this one time on Instagram, like I lived in Malaysia, and it was very similar. I went to British schools when I lived there. And it was really interesting, like people would like speak in this very specific accent where like, you know that they think that they sound British, but I'm like, this doesn't sound British. This is something, this is something entirely different. Yeah, like I, it's, it's special and cool. And the Singapore, yeah. the Malaysian accent, the Singaporean accent, I love them. They're so cute. I just really like it. I just love it. The food. The, the use of the word law, like, yeah, like I feel like my entire time living there, I was just trying to find ways to insert it into conversation and make it sound natural as possible because yes. I did. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it just sounds so cool. when they I've say what able to do it. My mom I, can do it. She can like slip into Singlish whenever she like wants to get a good deal at like a hawker center or something. <laughs> it's great. No. Yeah. I, and you, did you, you mentioned that you went to Singapore a lot growing up. Did you connect a little bit more with the Singaporean culture? Do you think? Yeah. So like my sister and I growing, so I, I grew up in California. Uh, I was born in Montreal though in Canada, okay. but every summer for three months, like but during the school break, we would go and live with my grandpa in Singapore, my grandparents at, at, um, in Singapore. And so we would, you know, go. Yeah. I do feel like I connected a lot with the culture. I will say that I think I, I regret that I never did any like programs where I could meet kids of my age though, because I think that would have really 
like I wouldn't say that I'm like super well versed in Singaporean culture because I feel like I lived in a little bit of a bubble just like going with my grandpa to like Chin Chin the Hainanese like restaurant where he would meet yeah. like, old friends every day which is great and I think that like I have a very special relationship with Singapore because of that and now that I'm older I'll go out we I go out and like we'll like um, my sister and I will go and we'll experience a different kind of Singapore that, than we had before. But I think that the upbringing in Singapore, like, kind of gave me a nice, like, appreciation for things like, like Marks and Spencer, like, yeah, Marks and Spencer, Jammy Dodgers, like Percy Pigs, like that kind of stuff. Like my grandma loved that. So my grandma had tea every afternoon. And then also like, just like very Singaporean food. So I feel like I had an interesting upbringing in that sense because I don't really feel super, super culturally Chinese. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting, like the the things that we connect to, because like, you know, for me growing up, I, I really rarely, I didn't feel very connected to Arab culture. But like, when I lived in Malaysia, I felt very connected to their culture. Like, I really like, loved it. Like, I loved everything about it. Everyone is very like, chill and like relaxed and like you know they took like afternoon naps and stuff and like I don't know just everything about it they just seemed really like happy and and chill and I was like everything revolves around food yes 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 and like the just you know I really like growing up like my favorite thing to do would be to go to like the Milan market which is like the night market and I like would haggle like as a child and like to this day like as an adult like that you have that skill (laughs) I just want to haggle with everyone everywhere I go. I'm like, I can't kick this. Like, it's just like, that's what you do. And like, I would speak in Malay, like, and I would think I was so slick. I was like, they definitely think I'm like a local. They definitely did not think I was a local. I was not, I was not fooling anyone, but I was like, if I act like a local, then they will give me a better deal. And I'm just trying to get the best deal that I can. But yeah, I really, really, really connected with it. And like, I haven't been there in, as an adult and like I want to go so badly as an adult because like you said, it's just a different experience when you just go there on your own and you can like explore and you're not kind of tied down to like, you know, your grandparents or your parents or yeah. whatever. Were you yeah. living in KL in Kuala Lumpur? Yeah. So we lived like not in KL, but like close enough. Like we lived uh, at, in an area called Gombak for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we spent most of our time. But yeah, we would go into KL pretty frequently. Um, KLCC was my favorite mall of all times and will be my favorite mall of all times. For, Malls it's in like, Malaysia are so great and they're so, yeah. so like cheap. It's great. Why, why, if you don't mind me asking, why were you in Malaysia? Like how long were you there and why did you end up going there? So I was there for like almost, I would say almost five years. My mom, uh, basically what she does is she opens schools and universities. So she was there um, opening um, a university there called IIUM. And she also ended up opening um, an international school. So that's the other thing. I also always kind of grew up going to the schools that my mom was establishing. So I always grew up in an international setting. And I just was exposed to like, I feel like a lot of cultures, like some of my good friends were from Singapore and like just from all over. And I'm really grateful for that now. Like, even though at the time I remember when like I would come to America in the summers, cause that's where I was born. And I was like, sad. I was like, I miss America. I miss lucky charms. Like I miss Dr. Pepper. Like, but like now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I'm so grateful that my parents like allowed me to have this like really special experience and be able to like connect with all these different people and like learn about all these different cultures and have an appreciation for them that I feel like when you're a child is just so there's something really I don't know it's just different well that's really what other places did you end up living in growing up 
Yeah, I lived in the United Arab Emirates for all four years of high school. So we lived um, in Abu Dhabi for two years, and then we lived like near Dubai for two years. Wow, that's incredible that you got to have that. I mean, I think we bonded over like we were talking about food on Instagram. Yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nasi goreng or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chocolate, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, but I will say uh, when I lived in, in the United Arab Emirates, I definitely did not like I, I was like I want to move back to America like I just I didn't really connect with the culture there like it wasn't it wasn't the same I miss Malaysia I was like I want to go back to Malaysia like I just really did not like love it in the same way but I do still think it was a really good like learning experience I think just in general like experiencing different cultures is going to help you kind of just you know them into your own person yeah and like also like you just gain respect for people, I think, and like appreciation for other people's cultures. And like, just, you know, knowing that like everyone has these interesting stories and identities and backgrounds and, and like, but at the end, like, there are so many shared experiences, though, between all these cultures that kind of like unites us. And it, it kind of gives you like a really different view on just like humanity and, and human connection. Yeah. And that's such a special area of the, I mean, I'm sure everybody from any part of Asia is like, oh, it's like, I just feel like Singaporean and Malaysian culture is such a nice mix of like, of, you know, Chinese culture, Malaysian culture, Indian culture. There's like, and then also like weirdly in Singapore, the British culture. It's like, even though that's like very cool, like colonialist, but like, um, it's just like a really special place. And like, I feel so lucky that I got to spend so much time there growing up in like my formative years. Yeah. And I think I feel I at the time, I think I kind of felt like I missed out on like summer with my friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm so glad that I grew up that way. Yeah, exactly. And it's like one of those things like at the time, you don't fully appreciate it. But like, as you get older, you're like, no, that was like, so awesome. And like, even when I think about like, just, you know, I don't have you ever been to Malaysia? I have, yeah. So every summer, like, cause so it's a, such a quick, like, little, like, car ride, train ride over. So yeah, we'd go yeah. to KL, we'd go shopping, and we'd go to Penang a lot. There are, like, a lot of Chinese people. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. We'd go to Penang a lot. We would go to, like, the Penang. Like, there's this, like, Chinese mansion in Penang that we would go to, like, every single year to look at it. I mean, also, the, there are just beautiful mansions in Malaysia, just in general, like, just gorgeous, like, and just beautiful temples. And just, like, it's it's a beautiful country, but also, like, the fact that I lived like near surrounded by beautiful mountains and like a rainforest. And like, I feel like I did not have a full appreciation for that. Like I would love that right now as an adult, like more than anything to just see like beautiful mountains with covered with beautiful, like just, I don't know. It's, it was just like scenically beautiful. Like everywhere you're driving, you just see like beautiful mountains and yeah, it's like, I, that, so gorgeous. Yeah. So I, beautiful. And it's just like one of those things that I feel like as soon as I find out that anyone is like, has any connection to like Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, I'm just like, let's talk. I'm like, let's, let's talk about, you know, Milo. Let's talk about Milo. (laughs) Milo dinosaurs. Yeah. I'm like, let's, let's have a conversation about all of these things that I grew up with that no one else knew what the fuck I was talking about. Like I would come back to America and I would be like looking for like, I don't know, like ketchup chips and oh, like, yeah, that's, that's they're so good. Exactly. There's like, where do you get ketchup chips? The only place that I can get them at, there's like a little British um, store that's like very overpriced. And like every now and then I'll like allow myself to buy them. Yeah. There's like one place that sells them. I oh, actually think, yum. yeah, like there's very few places where I feel like I can find like my childhood, like treats, which are all just kind of like 
yeah. Malaysian treats. Um, but yeah, there's an Indian grocery store actually bodega near me, and they yeah. sell like they sell some of this. They sell like right. Did you ever have a ribena? Yeah, I love ribena. Yeah, they have ribena there. Oh, it's <laughs> so good. Yeah, I would pretend like I was like a fancy lady and I was like drinking like an expensive like bottle of wine when I would drink Ribena. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, but like I want to buy a new, because I just finished my last bottle. I think I want to buy it and like see if I can like make some some fun Ribena cocktails with it or something. Oh, that would be really, really, really like actually probably really delicious. And now like I want to just make like see like what else could I make with Ribena? Like what how else could I incorporate this delicious thing into my life in like every way? Like I feel like maybe like Ribena Ribena like a matcha? Like what Ooh, that? that would be good I think because I think that, that I think that would be really good. That's what I'm like I feel like, like <laughs> more Singaporean there's a Singaporean restaurant. If you ever come to New York, like we're gonna go together. There's a place called Kopitiam here and they sell they sell like Nazi Goreen and like Oh fish ball noodles and like curry puffs and stuff like that and oh actually, I think the lady who started is actually either from Singapore or Malaysia I am absolutely I want I want to go there we will go there that's that's the other thing that I feel like there aren't that many Singaporean or Malaysian restaurants there are places that are like kind of like um Asian fusion so they'll yeah, have they'll like, like roti prata or something Exactly. Like they'll exactly they'll have like the roti chennai. They'll have like maybe like one other thing, but everything else is just. I'm like, this isn't. This isn't it. Like this yeah. is not. No, this place is like legit. Like when you go for your coffee order, you could be or your tea order. You can be like, I want a taste or like a cookie. Oh. Like, you can you can like act like they. That's like what it's listed on the menu. I'm also just conditioned to like only thinking that like uh tea tarek or taste yeah, like yeah. in like a plastic bag like with like <laughs> a plastic a- bag thing is so interesting <laughs> i don't i don't thinking back to it i'm sure i thought it was weird the first time i ever experienced it but like after a while it's like no yeah all beverages should be in plastic bags all yeah. the time. <laughs> or like curries my uncle would bring home curries and he just like cut the bag open and pour it into a bowl and i always thought that was so interesting but if you think yeah. i guess i guess if you think about it it is less plastic than then pla- like actual plastic packaging yeah like yeah. a styrofoam cup with like a plastic lid like yeah like a plastic bag is probably uh, a little bit thin plastic yeah I never like really thought about that I've thought about that but that is kind of like you drink beverages out they like, give you a straw in a bag and you're just like drinking your but it's 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 like a, that's what I'm saying like it's such a special unique experience and it's like like you said like I mean there's amazing all these amazing countries in Asia but like specifically like they're just very diverse and like yeah like I grew up with a lot of like Indian people and Chinese people in my classroom and like you just end up like learning things about other people's cultures living in places like that where they're so diverse and like even the way like the way like uh, holidays were celebrated, like there was like, you know, Muslims had their holidays off, like, you know, Buddhists had their holidays off, like everyone was treated very equally. And it was like this mutual respect that everyone had for each other's like cultures and religions. And they all just kind of live in harmony. And I'm like, there's really not many places I think that are like that, that I'm aware of. Yeah, I mean, I also have not traveled that much outside of, outside of those places. But yeah, I, I definitely think that like the Singaporean Malaysian, like that area of, of Asia is such a special place. Like I love it. I lo- and I feel like after, like, do I love that? Like the idea people have about like that part of the world is like crazy rich Asians. But like, I think that more Singaporean like food is kind of coming on the map now because of that. So it's kind of interesting. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that like I when I watched that movie, it, it is such like a like, I feel like it might have given a lot of people an impression that that's just like how everyone like lives, which is not an accurate representation. But also like, I remember watching it and just being really excited that like there was like, they were like showing Singapore and showing like the skyline. And I was like, this is really exciting. Like, this is really, really cool. And like, it just goes to show that like any type of like representation in in media is like really, it is really, really important to people because it just helps you feel like seen in a different way. Even though I've not, I not live in Singapore. I've only ever been there like, you know, for a quick vacation, but like, because it's like similar to Malaysia, I was like very hyped about it. So like, I can only imagine. People yeah, I mean, the food is similar. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of like, what are those cakes called that have like a bunch of different layers and they're colorful? Oh, like the, like, the, the rainbowy one. Yeah, yeah they're, like, um, they're like quay, but I don't remember. La, I don't. Is it called quay lapis? I I can't remember the name. I'll be honest with you, only because I didn't like it. Like I did. Like I remember like trying it once, and I was like not a huge fan. But I also feel like rambutan and durian was a really big thing. Oh, I hate durian. I hate it. I'm not a fan of durian, and I someone actually posted a really aesthetic photo the other day with like a durian, and I like all I could think of was like that smelled so bad. Like there's no way. That did not I like Ramadan though. It's not my favorite. Like I like Longan and lychees more, but they're I love lychees. I love lychees. I I didn't love Ramutans. It was like an acquired taste like over the years but like yeah there are certain things I will say I don't think I had developed um at at my young age like just like taste for like everything like when I think about it now I'm like I probably would have ate like everything but I was definitely still like you know a little kid who was like that looks weird I don't want to eat it yeah I mean my favorite thing though do you know like this might be like a very like weird thing but like did you ever have those like melon popsicles that they were like square and the Asian melon flavor is such a distinct flavor. It's like a honeydew, but it's not like the I, way you would expect a honeydew to taste. Like it's creamy. Man, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's I, the smell of it is what I remember. Like, so like I can like that. It has a distinct smell as well. Like the consistency, yes, but I also love like that shit. the way it smelled, like I've never, and also like, wh- why are they wh- like, why is it not available anywhere else? Like I've never seen it anywhere else I never see it either and they had other flavors I think they had a durian popsicle too but we, I yeah never ate it. yeah and the guy on the the motorcycle like the ice cream man he was literally like a dude with like a little box like on a motorcycle and I would like chase him down and like you know shake him down for like popsicles because yeah. they're 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 very different than like I think like western popsicles like they're not icy they're like I don't know. They're like a different consistency. And it's like, it's like like when you, yeah, when you exactly, they're like milky. Like when you bite into it, it's like you're biting into like something really creamy. Now I really want one. I know we have to do like a little food tour sometime. Oh my God. That that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I want to go to like Malaysia and Singapore, like as an adult and just like, just strictly revolve my trip around eating. Like, that's what I want to do. I just like want to eat all the food and like, just, I don't know, like get recipes. And like, I've tried a few recipes out myself. Do you, have you ever tried cooking uh, Singaporean food for yourself? I've made some curries before with like some curry paste that I brought. And I have like a bunch of blotch on that I'll put on things. But like Mm -hmm. most of the stuff that I feel like I, like I've never tried to make with my favorite dishes. Have you? No. And I like, I've tried making like a, 
few things, but like I was using, I was like improvising with a lot of the ingredients. And I think that you need, like, you need the specific Maggie paste. Like you need the Maggie sauce. I I, want to get some. That's what I'm saying. And my mom actually, she really warmed up to Malaysian food. So she, she doesn't cook Malaysian food, but like there's like Malaysian inspired twists on like the food she makes, which is primarily Arab food. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting to me that she'll like, take a little bit of like their kind of like spice profile and like mix it with like a traditionally Arab dish and like make her own kind of thing, which is really cool. But I love yeah. that. Like put a little pond on it. I have pond on yeah. face and I really like that. My mom may, I don't eat meat anymore, but she used to make this like, she makes really good beef rendang. Ooh. Oh my God. I just also like, I, my favorite, if I had to like pick one thing, it's like saute, Oh, like meat on a stick so good with the peanut sauce but like off the side of the road like just specifically has to be someone who's like on the side of the road very dangerously positioned it tasted better can't explain it like there's just something about like the way and I've that's one of the things that I've tried recreating is making saute at home and I'm just like I just can't get it to like taste the same I can't do it damn that's it I feel like that's pretty ambitious I feel like you really have to get the right type of meat for that and then did you and try I, to make the peanut sauce? I've tried to make peanut sauce. I feel like the peanut sauce was was good, but like also like I think that like it's the way it's like grilled, like on that like yeah, open flame. Fire, it gets all yeah. charred. Yeah, You're exactly. Scared. And so like me making that in my kitchen definitely was very ambitious, but like I was just having an intense craving and um wanted to like recreate my like my childhood and and it yeah. was definitely very uh it was good but it just did not taste anything like it but yeah i i need to come to new york and uh go do some stuff although i've never found a place my favorite i think my favorite food from childhood is roti prata and i think it's that good. i i just like feel like i would never be able to make that bread like ever and i've never found a place in new york that i feel like does it well have you tried like going to like an Indian restaurant to get try- that? I have. I've never yeah. seen it on a menu. I've only seen like dosas on a menu because they have pratas there. And to be honest with you, like it's a little like there are slight differences, but for the most part, if you can get Indian pratas, like even if you went to like an Indian grocery store, they probably have them frozen. The thing is, is like um, like making the actual like dipping thing. I feel like that you would have to get crafty with it. But the pratas themselves are very, at least the ones that I had in Malaysia are very similar to Indian pratas. Like there's okay. probably differences that like I'm not aware of, but like they're as far as like the consistency and like the flakiness kind of like uh, and like the thin and it the just thin like, layers and it's like a little chewy on the inside yeah I yeah I should I, look more I have a, fa- a couple of favorite Indian restaurants but I feel like I usually go there for dosas and I never never even think to like look for pratas yeah, no, it definitely Indian pratas, I think are, are super, super similar in a lot of ways. And like, it definitely will like fulfill that need that you know what I mean? I'm like, it's definitely something that I feel like I'm like, yeah, this this tastes like very similar and like really yeah. delicious. Um, but we'll definitely not be able to get it for $3 in New York (laughs) no absolutely like that's another the whole other thing like everything in Malaysia was so cheap like I would go into like a like a I don't know like a Sanrio type store and just buy copious amounts of like stationaries and stickers and spend like four dollars like you know what I mean like and if I went to like a Sanrio store I would like not be able to do that in America at all yeah no that's so true 
Um, but I feel like this was like such a like fun nostalgic episode for me. I'm also so hungry right now. I know. I'm gonna go raid my fridge. Literally, but thank you so so much for coming on me and like this has been so fun. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Thank you. I feel so honored to be on and I love I love talking about cats in Singapore and makeup <laughs> in here. So it's like the perfect combo. We just talked about all of our favorite things. Um, yeah, basically. Where I would love we- to meet you for real someday. Yeah, no, I'm like, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, for a second, I was like, maybe I thought I might have met you. But I'm like, I don't, if I did meet you, it must have been a really brief, like, we were with a mutual friend type of situation at like an event during because I'm there a lot for like fashion week and stuff like that. So like, I might have met you like very briefly in passing. But I was like, for a while, I was like, wait, have I actually met her? I'm like, I'm not 100% sure. But I don't think you've ever had a full conversation before until then. Oh, until then. No, no, definitely. And now I, I unfortunately don't live in Brooklyn. But I, will. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm like, it's fine. I love that for me. Um, But next time I'm in New York, we're definitely we're gonna gonna go on like a food tour we're gonna we're gonna do a mukbang we're gonna oh, yes I love that yeah I'm like I literally I'm like we'll just like find and like hunt down like Malaysian and Singaporean food and like you know just give people reviews that they did not ask for <laughs> I am here for that I'm here for that a hundred percent where can you I would say oh no you're thank you I was gonna ask where can people follow you online like where can they find any of your content plug all the things yeah um just I guess mostly my Instagram that's at me and m-i-a-n-n-e period c-h-a-n and then I have a newsletter that you that it's like in the link in my bio so I write that I try oh. to write it every month but I don't always <laughs> um it's just kind of like rambling essay kind of like thoughts about anxiety basically um and then I make and then on that Instagram like I'll post like the videos that I make for Condé Nast there and like others like my writing sometimes so it's kind of like my home base so it's kind of that's kind of it and I'll I'll have it linked in the episode description and as always you could check out the Arab American Psycho Instagram account where you will see a lovely picture of me and like so many eye looks to choose from it's going to be very hard for me to pick a picture but Um, and you can always, as always follow me on Instagram at more E where, you know, just post lots of pictures of myself and yell on my Instagram stories. Um, and yeah, make sure you floss your teeth, wear your sunscreen, and I will talk to you guys next Sunday.